This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, April 10th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Later, how the Urban Land Institute's Art in Place program is taking shape in Northwest Arkansas. First, with Northwest Arkansas being home to districts such as Springdale Schools, where students from diverse populations account for 68% of enrollment and more than 49 languages are spoken, according to the Northwest Arkansas Council, nonprofits like One Community are stepping up to serve the underrepresented communities with their educational advocacy. Ozarks at Large's Rachel Sanchez Smith spoke with the program's founder and team about how they're bridging those communities. One of their programs, Parents Taking Leadership Action, or Padres Tomando Liderazgo, as it's often called in Spanish, focuses on teaching recently emigrated families about the educational system in the U.S., as well as giving families resources and tools to be able to advocate for their children. So far, the PTLA initiative has served over 140 families in Springdale, mostly elementary schools like George, Jones, Monitor, Elmdale, and Parson Hills Elementary Schools. Their focus is to break down stigmas and barriers to educational attainment while strengthening parent-school communication. I spoke to one of the co-founders, Dr. Diana Gonzalez-Worthen, about the gaps in academic access and how that motivated her and Al Paparap Lopez to create one community. I started teaching 1996, fall of 96 at Rogers High School, which is now Heritage High School. That's where the original high school was. And during that time, there was, we had our major immigration wave that, that occurred in Northwest Arkansas. And I had a chance to meet, um, and we worked side by side, Al Paparap Lopez. And so he and I really were there. He was working with the parents um, and working between the principals, counselors, teachers, kids. And I'm, I'm a science teacher, so I was teaching geology and ESL biology. So in the ESL class, I had students that were learning English, and many of them from Guanajuato, but, you know, we had them from Mexico, El Salvador. We had a few Marshallese, not very many at that time. And so there were a lot of things going on during that time because it was so new, and teachers, counselors, everybody, they just weren't quite ready. After hearing from parents and families as educators, and seeing the struggles of newcomers in navigating an English-dominated school system, both co-founders knew a program like One Community needed to exist. I wanted to preface that because we've been in this work for a long, long time, since 1996. And in 1999, we decided that there was still a lot of work that needed to be done with connecting our immigrant families. Um, they really were still kind of lost in trying to figure out the school system. In 1999, we formed and then we began looking at, okay, what kind of programs can we help to create and get started in the schools to bring more awareness to the families? And so, so basically, it was we decided to really work on parent uh, parent-school communication, um, educational awareness, you know, how does the school system work? But at the same time, we know that parents, you know, they're the leaders in their families, and they have experiences in school back in their home country. So it was always going to be this two-way relationship in terms of we're going to be learning from the families, they're going to be learning from us, but ultimately the whole goal was to for them to be ready to advocate for their children and not feel like intimidated, you know, to feel comfortable not only advocating for their child, but for other children. The learning experience began for both districts and parents, many confused at what a GPA is or how a school board works, all in an unfamiliar language with few translators to work with. Many districts with the growing diverse population have hired more interpreters since the early immigration waves to Northwest Arkansas in the past 20 years. And it's hard to find a school nowadays without a translator, but more obstacles still exist. Cultural divides stand between students' maximum academic success and families being involved in local educational affairs, language being the chief among those obstacles. 
Committed to helping this relationship, One Community focused its efforts on empowering parents with the same leadership skills that they use in their family dynamics and showing them how to apply it to schools. Basically, it's enhancing those leadership skills that all parents have. They're the leaders of their families and um, and then becoming more aware of how the school system works. And, and it's anything from... Uh, anything first, you know, learning about going to the school, you know, who greets you at the school, you know, who do you see first? If you need to talk to someone, um, have you requested an interpreter if you need one? You know, just that's a very minor, simple thing, but it's, it seems minor, but it's really a big thing because parents, they're not going to go to the school if they don't feel comfortable or they don't know the language, but they don't realize how much they, I mean, that's parents like, are the power <laughs> brokers essentially in a school system because it's their kids that are getting that education. And so a lot of times parents, immigrant parents don't know that because of the language, you know, so we're saying, no, you know, your your kids are, are, you're raising your kids to be bilingual and you're the leader in your family and you have school experiences, but yes, it's a little different. So we will share those differences, you know, with you. They learn about grades. They learn about, uh, you know, what it, what is a GPA? You know, how do you go to college? I mean, you know, they're just, there's just so many things. Another challenge for families is understanding the intrinsic differences in an American school system from their native countries, often leaving students to not only translate the language used in the schools, but also translating an entire unfamiliar system to their parents. You have the cultural um, differences. So for example, um, we prep parents for parent-teacher conferences. A lot of parents, they don't know that they can ask the teacher a question because in their home countries, the teacher knows everything and you know you listen to the teacher and you don't question the teacher. Um, you just do what the teacher says. And so there's a lot of head nodding, you know, the teacher will say, well, your son or daughter needs to do better in um, reading, say, okay, or math. And the parents, you know, then there'll be an interpreter there and they'll tell the parents and then the parents will just nod. But how far is that going to go? Um, you know, so what we what we tell the parents is, okay, so if the teacher does say your child needs um to do a little bit better, they're struggling in math, for example, ask the teacher through that interpreter, ask the teacher, what can I do at home to help my child with math? Because teachers have an incredible amount of resources and activities that can be done at home, but oftentimes they're not asked that, but they but they do. And so when you can ask for that, then they can show you and then ask them to show you, you know, um, how now how would I use this activity at home, you know. And so don't be afraid because the thing is, is that you want your child to be successful. The teacher wants your child to be successful. So you have to work together and um, just don't be afraid to ask that question because that's where that's where you end up with a truly wonderful parent-teacher conferences because you're a team. You're a team trying to help further the education of your child. Parents learn about a series of things in the PTLA program, from education awareness classes to adult English classes, the byproduct being more informed parents who are equipped with tools and resources for the betterment of their child's future, and even their own. Dr. Gonzalez-Worthen was even surprised to find that after families attended some local college and tech tours through PTLA, that parents even thought about their own schooling journey and careers. Uh, we take at least one field trip to, a, to an institution of higher ed. We've been to U of A, I think, at least two, three times. We've been to NWAC. We went to NWAC this year. We've been to Northwest Technical Institute. And those are always just big eye-openers for the families because they're, we're going as a group get on the school bus, we go as a group, they're all excited, they're prepped, they know what questions they want to ask, um, and and they get there, and all of a sudden now they're saying, I want, could I go back to school? <laughs> you know? Another one community team member, Julieta Ortiz, also stressed the importance of parents being involved, what that means to their kids, the impact on families, and how she wished she had a similar program when she attended Northwest Arkansas schools growing up. And the children are very happy. I've been interviewing a few children this week for a, a fundraising campaign, 
and I've been asking them, how do you feel about your mom coming to this program? And some answers were, oh, now I feel so happy because she goes to my events and then she participates and now she, she's more confident and then she talks to my teacher and all kinds. I mean, those, those things kind of hit on me because I went through the same thing when I was young and my parents, unfortunately, I, I wasn't that lucky. They weren't at my events because they didn't speak the language so they had to work in jobs that they had to because they didn't speak the language. So I kind of reflected. I Seeing these kids, it's, I, it's like seeing myself, but I'm happy for them that they have this opportunity. I spoke with Dr. Diana Gonzalez-Worthen and Julieta Ortiz from one community last week in the Furman Garner Performance Studio. More information on one community programs in both English and Spanish at onecommunityar.org. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Rachel Sanchez-Smith. And ahead today on Ozarks at Large, Jennings Osborne was a larger-than-life Arkansas figure. And so he said, hey, why don't you come to work for me and just handle my PR um, because I'm doing fireworks, you know, Christmas lights, and barbecue. Those are my three things I love to do. And so that's how it started. Of course, the following year, uh, he did do the barbecues uh, at every Razorback game, and it became legendary with 5,000 fans standing in line. I've got pictures you know, with a, with a, a whole chicken and a, a giant turkey leg and a barbecue sandwich. I mean, it was enough. To, it was about fifty dollars worth of food. Christmas lights, philanthropy, and more ahead on today's show. Arkansas Community Foundation has a vision for communities in Arkansas to become the places your kids will want to raise their kids. By strategically funding local nonprofits, ARCF provides not only resources, insight, and inspiration, but also statewide impact to build better communities. More at arcf.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you, Kyle. Matthew, did you have a good weekend? I did. I got to go to a a Northwest Arkansas Naturals game on Saturday. They didn't play very well, but it was a great atmosphere. Good to see a lot of folks out there watching games. Excellent. You have a hot dog? I did, actually. Attaboy. You know how to do baseball. You have to. Yes, absolutely. I got to visit with uh, family and friends in Northeast Texas. Nice. Um... For, for the holiday? And, yeah. Yeah. And it's spring. It and this spring. Was, I, I don't know about here, but in, uh, you know, the metropolis of Forest Hill, Texas, it was the quintessential spring weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. I, I broke out, as you as you can see, I broke out my short sleeve mm. button-up shirts. I'm not it's... ready to go to short <laughs> sleeves. Plenty of things happening this week uh-huh. because we are really now, because it's spring, really going. These are some of the things I mentioned on Friday's show, but just in case you missed it, Wednesday night, Vine Brothers are going to be at Maxine's Tap Room. Mm -hmm. I'm very excited about that show. Also Wednesday, the 2022 U.S. Barista Champion and World Barista Runner-Up Morgan Eckroth of Morgan Drinks Coffee, exclamation point, will be at the Momentary. Mm -hmm. And uh, Thursday, the University of Arkansas Horn Spring Recital taking place at Fayetteville Public Library. Have you ever made like uh, espresso drinks with steamed milk or anything before? Matthew, I am a drip coffee guy. I appreciate the talent uh-huh. and the creativity that goes into it, but uh, you know, I, <laughs> I, I I'm a drip coffee guy. It's I, I used to be a barista in a yeah. former life, um, and it looks easy. I no. will say that <laughs> I don't think it does, which is why I'm a drip coffee guy. But uh, but I'm sure that Morgan Eckroth at the Momentary on Wednesday will be able to tell you it's not easy. I'm sure she will. This month for the lunch hour, we're taking it up a notch. We're having the lunch hour at Bike Rack Brewing located at 801 Southeast 8th Street, Bentonville, Arkansas, 72712. Hosted by City Sessions featuring music from Aurora Lai and food from Nashnola. You don't want to miss this month's lunch hour happening at Bike Rack Brewing from noon to one. Located at 802 Southeast 8th Street, Bentonville, Arkansas. Food from Nashnola and music from Aurora Lai. Hosted by City Sessions. We'll see you there. Today is the final day to register to vote for the upcoming May 9th elections across Arkansas. Four bond issues are on the ballot in Springdale, including a $135 million for street improvements, more than $16 million for parks and recreation upgrades, nearly $8 million for a new fire station, and more than $16 million for a new senior center. 
In the Rogers and Bentonville school districts, a millage increase is on the ballot for Northwest Community College, an increase from 2.6 mills to 3 mills. And in Lincoln, a nearly $4 million bond issue to pay for a new community building and a sales tax continuation is on the ballot as well. And across the listening region, you'll find school board elections, including School board elections in Fayetteville, Springdale, Pea Ridge, Salem Springs, Mountainburg, and Fort Smith. You can check your voter registration status online at voterview.org. Thank you, everyone, who contributed uh, last week during mm-hmm. our three-day spring fundraiser. That's right. Yes, we uh, we were on the air for just three days last week. Uh, traditionally, we're on the air for about five days, and uh, we heard response from folks that said, "If you do it shortened, we'll give money." <laughs> and so we raised seventy-six thousand seven hundred forty-three dollars. Yes, goal was eighty thousand dollars. If you didn't have a chance in that abbreviated time to make a gift, you can still do that right now at supportkuaf.com. And from all of us, and, and your fellow listeners who also contribute and, and make this uh, public radio station possible, thank you very much. I try to take everybody along on my fantasy ride. I'm on my fantasy ride. I know that. And I enjoy it. I like to take people with me. You know, it's I've gotten to do some incredible things. And... Uh, it's fun to include everybody around you. Now. This is Ozarks at Large. It's time for another trip through archives from the Prior Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. Randy Dixon, welcome back. Hi, Kyle. This one, the subject this week, I mean, they're always interesting, but this is one I didn't even realize how much I wanted to do because I knew so little about Jennings Osborne. Well, I knew him, uh, covered him for years. And I uh, got to know the family fairly well. Um, very, very interesting man. Just as a little background, uh, he was born Fort Smith, mm-hmm. 1943. And he was originally a medical tech, I believe, at a hospital in Little Rock. But he made his fortune. And at one point, I think he was worth about $50 million. Um in medical research, uh, he started a, a company called the Arkansas Research Medical Testing Center, and we can explain okay. how all that works, a little, you know, in a few minutes. But the Prior Center actually interviewed him uh, back in two thousand and nine, and um, well, he explains here to Scott Lunsford of our staff um, how he got his start. I met the people from the drug company that asked this doctor to get me to perform this test. So I just saw an opportunity. There seems to be a lot of money in this field. So I got to know this guy. He introduced me to another MD out of Dallas. And I was sort of their package man. They asked me if I could find a doctor to do something. And I said, sure, I did it for nothing. They were happy. Within six months, I had really gotten to know these two MDs, and uh, I just saw an opportunity. And I said, you know, I think I can make a living doing this. So that's how I got started. But I had another doctor from a drug company that asked me if I could do different studies. And I couldn't find anybody who would give me hospital space. I tried to, I even tried to buy a hospital once. Nobody would sell me beds. Nobody would, so I found out that I could go to the prison and get the same thing done. So 68, 69, a little bit of 70. I did all my work at uh, the Arkansas uh, State Prison. So he was talking about testing on prisoners first, right, right. which he paid them, but the Supreme Court in the early 70s ruled it was unconstitutional uh, because they were 
doing medical experiments on a captive audience. Yes, <laughs> yeah. very captive. Yeah, um, and thought it was coercion. Mm-hmm. But uh, he decided to open his own facility, and the way it worked is he would advertise and have subjects that he would pay come in and they would I'm I'm guessing here that you know they would experiment they'd keep them there for a period of time I mean they had lodging there beds and such but uh, I guess they would give one the drug and half the uh, placebo placebo, yes and so he made a lot of money uh, from the uh, medical uh, drug pharmaceutical companies. So he's making a lot of money um, and has become incredibly wealthy. He's married to his childhood sweetheart, Mitzi, and they have an only child, daughter's nickname is Breezy. And so uh, they're living quite well. And so before we get to all the fun stuff, mm-hmm. uh, something really frightening uh, happened when the family was actually, it was right before Christmas, and they were leaving the the facility and going to their car for the night, and they were approached by some people, and, and uh, Jennings tells this frightening story. They, they were trying to kidnap Breezy, and, uh, you know, they had guns, you know, they put guns in Breezy's mouth, my head, all this kind of stuff. You know, Mitzi wouldn't, you know, dare get Breezy up. It was a big tug-of-war type thing, mass confusion. And I figured these guys were probably associated, you know, as, through my business some way, you know, volunteers or something. Stuff. So I just had to say, hey, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, what do you want? Let's take care of this, you know. It was getting out of control. But... After that, you know, our our wall went up. We had security guards, you know, for Breezy because I was never home. That's so scary, pointing right. guns at your daughter, your wife, and you. Well, and he said and that's when the wall went up. And if you had ever seen the house on Cantrell Road, which is Highway 10 that runs through Little Rock, it's a huge, almost 12,000-square-foot mm-hmm. white brick house but it has a huge wall and security cameras cameras it has intercom at the front gate that uh you know you have to be let in but uh you know besides that big scare he was really emerging into the public eye he was not really known until he started to do to feed people. Right. And it started with, I believe it was a media celebrity softball game, and he was approached and asked if he could just set up and feed the people attending, and that would be sort of a bonus for the charity. And he just came out, and he grilled hot dogs, and it was all a great deal. But, of course, Jennings Osborne was always thinking big, and he wanted to do something more. And so he started dabbling with barbecue. Then I just started piddling at Hot Springs on the weekend, barbecuing. And then I just, I, I got this rib that nobody ever, ever uses because it's just so crazy expensive. And uh, that became our signature dish. And we found that uh, we brought so many good memories to people with the barbecues. And we've done this in Arkadelphia, we did 5,000 people. I've always made sure we have enough food. That's the closest we've ever been to running out. But if we do an event for 1,500 people, I usually have 2,500 just to make sure. I never want to not have enough. And then, you know, the, the old moderation thing, I just started saying, well, why don't we give them a whole chicken? Why don't we give them a big turkey leg? It just kept Why don't we give them a three-pound sandwich? And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, you know, it ends up 12 pounds or something. And that Arkadelphia thing he was talking mm-hmm. about, it wasn't just a, a big hoo-ha. 
there had been a, a tornado that had ripped through Arkadelphia. And uh, that was uh, in the, I think it was in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came and fed the entire town. Which would become something he would do at other well, events. And- he started doing it at festivals, especially tailgating at Razorback games. And he would come and just feed everyone. But here's the amazing thing. This isn't what he's best known for. No. As, as over the top as that is, there's something more over the top. There, yeah, there are two. And, and the, the biggest, uh, the lights. Yeah. Christmas lights. You know, he was truly a workaholic. And, you know, we're talking 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And his only day off that he and Mitzi would take usually was Christmas. Mm. And his daughter, Breezy is the one who really got it started because she wanted to see her dad on Christmas and wanted red Christmas lights. Every time Christmas season rolls around, I want red lights on the house and lots of them. And that's just the way I grew up. That's what I miss the most. You know, just one day, you know, I'll even string them myself. I just want to see them turned on one time. (laughs) Okay, so the first lights went up in the mid-80s. 86. Okay, that first lighting display, I don't think, made the newspapers. No, no, no. It was pretty modest. It's only a thousand lights. <laughs> yeah. However, it grew. And grew in what is now known as a Jennings Osborne style or yes. fashion. So, you know, it turned into this spectacular display. Some called it garish. Uh, I think the especially f- his neighbors. I was going to say, the further away you lived, I think the more excited you were, because tourists would come from hundreds of miles away, all over, just to see it. Well, because he kept adding lights and adding lights, and um, the the traffic would back up, and it's it was a a busy (laughs) road anyway, a main artery coming into Little Rock, and so. I mean, cars were backed up for miles. And this would start, I think, the day after Thanksgiving? Yes. It, it went, I believe, 45 days. Yes. Originally. But then As the neighbors com- right. started to complain, and it got to the point that they filed suit against him. Well, Jennings' response? More lights. Up it. Up yep, it. Yep. He added more lights. <laughs> and he expanded... I believe it went to a million, and then eventually, I believe the the last total was more than three million lights, and it eventually went to the U.S. Supreme Court, and they decided to, you know, shut it all down. But I was there for the final lighting. Um, th- this was so big, it brought in international media and so it was a circus there at his place now you know this compound was surrounded by gates and tall tall walls but they you could see in and it was built all the way out Mm -hmm. and at this point he had bought the houses on each side that's right i had forgotten this and decorated those so it was incredible. Um, Three million plus lights that they say could be seen from 80 miles away. And it was just a nightmare. He People would find places to park and walk around, and he would hand out these giant candy canes to kids. They looked like large batons that he would hand out. And in this last night, we had six live cameras there and a helicopter in the air. Oh, my goodness. And the reason we made such a big deal is that CNN wanted to carry the lighting live worldwide. So our meteorologist, Ned Permy, who was known for going around to communities all uh-huh, over the state, uh-huh. actually did the lighting live worldwide. But really what blew me away um, – he had a truck, and all the all the media 
and there it, there were just scads, and we're talking from Japan and Germany and and all over, and um, he opened the back of a truck, and there were all these boxes with wrapped up with ribbons, and he started handing them out to just to the media. And somebody opened one up, and inside was a Mont Blanc pin. Oh, my goodness. Which has got to be worth, what, $100, $150? I guess, yeah, if not and more. He, and he had hundreds of them. And Jennings came over and was going to give me one, and I said, I'm sorry, I can't take this because it would be right. payola. I'm not allowed to take a, a gift in the media. Well, that didn't stop everybody. Um, there were a few of the tabloids there and i'm not Mm going to name them but there were some of the folks there that were taking handfuls of these and sticking them in their bags so it was it was out of hand and and (laughs) a lot of times whenever jennings osborne was around things were a little over the top yes yes well put well put so we're having this final lighting and then here's Jennings talking about the next step. When we got the word that, you know, we had to shut our lights down, that was very devastating. Because, you know, I was just doing it to make people happy. And my daughter happy. Yeah. And, you know, everybody took it the wrong way in the neighborhood. Yeah. So it really worked out. It was a blessing. Everything. Mm-hmm. And I had received... Offers to decorate the Empire State Building, a mountain in Montana, every crazy thing you can think of. This guy from Disney that I didn't know, he just said he was from Orlando, had this residential street that he wanted decorated. And would I be interested? And I always said, you know, put it in writing, send it to me, and I'll certainly entertain it. And it came on Disney stationary <laughs> not knowing what residential street was that was a street at MGM so that's my tremendous you know Disney connection so the lights <laughs> live on oh all over in many places right uh they went to Disney World as right. he said uh but that wasn't all uh he also lit up th- the town squares in 34 different communities around the state. But the biggest for him personally was lighting Graceland. Which makes so much sense. The Elvis Presley home in Memphis. So uh, here's Jack Soden, who's with the uh, Elvis Presley Enterprises and he makes the comparison between Jennings and Elvis. He loved Elvis. He loved the story of Elvis's life, uh, maybe in some ways related to it, um, because he had become so successful. And he related to Elvis's generosity. And he just, you know, well, you know, uh, Jennings was just absolutely lived to be generous. Barbecues, and he was doing fireworks, and doing all the the lights and getting all these requests. And so he needed some help. (laughs) And he called on uh, David Basil. Who had played football at the University of Arkansas. That's right. He was a standout there. Um, He was also a radio personality. Still is. Yes. Entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he did the boot. Oh, that's right. And the Broyles Award. So, I mean, this guy has a lot of irons in the fire. And so... Jennings wants to add one more, so uh, I talked to David the other day, and here's what happened. And so he said, hey, why don't you come to work for me and just handle my PR um, because I'm doing fireworks, you know, Christmas lights, and barbecue. Those are my three things I love to do. And so that's how it started. Of course, the following year, uh, he did do the barbecues uh, at every Razorback game, and it became legendary with 5,000 fans standing in line. I've got pictures you know, with a, with a, a whole chicken and a, a giant turkey leg and a barbecue sandwich. I mean, it was enough. To, it was about fifty dollars worth of food. So that started it, and then obviously the adventures went on from there to, you know, to Graceland, to Disney, you name it. That's sort of where it started. And so um, I asked him what it what it was like, you know, just being a part of that. 
it was a spectacle everywhere we went. You know, for Breezy's birthday, um, you know, downtown at the at the uh, July 4th parade, July 4th celebration, he would do the fireworks downtown, and he would have at the very end Breezy's name spelled out in fireworks at the end. Or if we would go to Hot Springs for their fireworks display, he would pay for the fireworks display, and he'd take his big big boat that looks like it should be down the Gulf of Mexico. He would take it out in the middle of the lake in Hot Springs, and it was just, I mean, everything was over the top. You know, everything was big. You know, some weeks it was crazier than others where we would do, you know, with, you know, several barbecues in several weeks and then um, uh, fireworks somewhere or, you know, for example, you know, he would call me. He would see where there was a, you know, example, like a little girl might have been murdered, I think, somewhere in Arkansas. I forget where it was. And he would have me call the funeral home and just say, Mr. Osborne would like to take care of the funeral costs uh, for the family. So you had those kind of things going on behind the scenes. And then you had you had uh, politicians that wanted contributions. So you had those phone calls coming in. And so it was it was always something, but it was always a lot of fun. You know, they he, he lived life to the fullest and had a blast. And by the way, the little girl he was talking about, and you may remember this case, mm-hmm. Casey Woody mm-hmm. uh, in Faulkner County, she was – Started a thing online with someone and was catfished. Right, and it was. And this uh, is early two thousands. Yes, yeah, it was two thousand two, and this was like a forty seven year old man mm-hmm. who met up with her, kidnapped her, and murdered her, and that really uh, struck a nerve with Jennings, and and that's why he got so involved with the family. So I mean, he was doing all these things. And um, unfortunately, it was about to come to an end. What happened was he sold his business, and there was supposed to be some money coming in, and there was a dispute, there was a lawsuit, and uh, the money didn't for some reason. So he started the business again. Mm. And, you know, he was going to have to get his work ethic back in action but uh, here's David Basil with what happened. And so, quite frankly, one thing about Jennings is uh, as much as he made money, he could spend money. Uh, and so I'm sure Breezy and, and Mitzi could tell you the same. The same. I mean, they live life to the fullest, and uh, he would continue to do these different things where they were spending, obviously spending a lot of money. And so there was a need for him to go back at that point and, and, and do the business again. So he reopened the business. And he'd have some health issues. He goes in the hospital, uh, never comes out, and, and, and sadly passes away. His memorial service was much like his life. It was big, big and extravagant. Um, for example, uh, First Lady Rosalind Carter uh, spoke, oh. uh, gave a eulogy. But... Um, we have a clip here, and so you'll hear from a former governor, Mike Huckabee, former president, Bill Clinton, and his own daughter, Breezy. It's always appropriate to share scriptures at funeral services. And I thought of one, Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your moderation be known unto all men. And I realized that doesn't fit at all. <laughs> but this one might. John 10, verse 10. I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He was flashy and he kept his hair long and his lights bright. But some of the best things he did in life were when nobody was looking and no one could see. Thank you for holding my hand my entire life. It was an honor holding yours as you entered the gates of heaven. You're never far from our minds and always in our hearts. Love, your little Beezer. Well, finally, to sum up the life of Jennings Osborne. Right. He, well, now this was, you know, back when uh, the Pryor Center interviewed him in 2009. So this was at a point he was riding high. But um, he was thankful. I've had an incredible life. I have gotten to do so many things that, people just dream of. I've actually gotten to do. Very thankful. 
Jennings Osborne, that from a, a long interview that was part uh, that is part of the archives that you can find at the and day. You can. It's it's there on the Prior Center website. So Melvin Bell was our subject last week. Jennings yes. Osborne this week. Uh, a couple of people who made a lot of money, who gave a lot of money away. Yes. Any idea what we're going to talk about next week? I have no idea. That's okay. <laughs> Randy thank Dixon you. is with the Prior Center. Randy, thank you. Tomorrow on Ozarks, when the Civil War flared up in what is now the center of Fayetteville. The citizens were probably somewhat warned by the federal command. Okay. They knew something was going to happen. Again, they didn't know when, but with that, you know, imagining, you know, cannon fire, you know, being aimed at your house. The One of the positives, I guess, for the citizens in the square area was it was largely ignored by the Confederate Army because they were trying to take the federal command that's on tomorrow's show at noon and at seven and you can always follow along with the ozarks at large podcast there is plenty of art in northwest arkansas and plenty of real estate development as well but mutual abundance doesn't always mean the two are linked art in place a project sponsored by the urban land institute is designed to merge real estate and art by bringing artists into the early stages of real estate developments that are seeking a connection to community. The first public input sessions connected with Art in Place take place tomorrow and Wednesday nights in Rogers. Dayton Castleman, the director of creative placemaking and artist lead at Verdant Studio in Rogers, was instrumental in getting Northwest Arkansas to be one of six locations participating in Art in Place in 2023. An opportunity for some very clear next steps in convening, and a lot of it has to do with relationship building at this point. Um, the program in Northwest Arkansas is going to be built around bringing artists and real estate developers together in the same space for conversation. Castleman says the very basic idea behind Art in Place is a blending of great design with art and culture. At the root of it is understanding the context within which um, art and culture is brought or injected. Um, at the root of it is listening, understanding. Um, sometimes that involves communities and people and the feedback of those that are living and surrounded or surround whatever it is that might be going in. Some of that is more abstract and historical and um, material, spatial. Along with Northwest Arkansas, there are Art in Place programs this year in Hong Kong, Austin, Cleveland, Baton Rouge, and Steamboat Springs, Colorado. Dayton Castleman says Art in Place landed here via an application through Verdon Studio on behalf of the Urban Land Institute's Northwest Arkansas Council. He says each cohort has an assigned coach to help lead a merger between artists and developers. Northwest Arkansas's leader is Tim Jones, former CEO of Toronto-based Artscape, a nonprofit that focuses on similar ideals as those connected to art in place. He has sort of tried to drive home this idea that it's oftentimes the developer, of course the developer is the one working with the perhaps the investor or the owner that's um, applying for the resources to do the development and the artist is the one that wants the resources and so um, artists are kind of often coming with their hat in their hand um, and developers are often trying to make a project as efficient and profitable as possible um, so I think art in place is about trying to bridge those mindsets helping artists better understand how real estate development transpires um, what the realities are when it comes to what developers are actually up against when it comes to the bottom line, finances, returns on investment, so on and so forth. Um, and then the real estate developer gaining greater understanding of the intrinsic value that art brings to spaces. Castleman, an artist and tireless promoter of other artists in this area, says he's already learned quite a bit in these earliest stages of getting art in place to land in northwest Arkansas. My committee members, the committee members that make up the, uh, that I've sort of assembled from folks I've built relationships with since being in Northwest Arkansas, um, the real estate developers have referred to the checklists, you know, because there's just a mile long 
list of boxes that you have to tick in order for it to be legal, in order for it to be approved, in order for it to be safe. Um, you know, there's a lot of oversight from municipalities, from, uh, you know, there's a lot of law that you have to comply with in order to create new buildings or new developments or things like that. Tomorrow night's kickoff for artists is from 6 until 7.30 at the Rogers Lowell Chamber of Commerce on West Walden and Rogers. A kickoff for developers interested in art and place is set for 6 Wednesday night at 216 West Birch, also in Rogers. Future meetings will take place in other cities in northwest Arkansas. This week's introductory sessions will include a general introduction to the Art in Place grant and a summary of goals for the northwest Arkansas version of Art in Place. You can register to participate and learn much more at verdant-studio slash AIP. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Gossip was formed in 1999 in White County, Arkansas. The trio has since gone on to international acclaim. That's especially true in the United Kingdom, where gossip lead singer Beth Ditto of Cersei could be accurately described as a tabloid sensation. Gossip moved to the Pacific Northwest, inspired by the 1990s Riot Girl bands, who especially seemed to hail from the region. Using only drums, guitar, and Beth Ditto's explosive vocals, the gossip ended up on one of the scene's most important record labels, Kill Rock Stars, out of Olympia, Washington. The band members were all working at a mall food court in Olympia when they recorded their debut for the label in 2000, That's Not What I Heard. The gossip's second album, Movement, was released in 2003. In between was an EP from the gossip called Arkansas Heat. I think I feel a little hurt. My fists are turning colder diamonds when no one told me so much work. We're all going to try. Gossip's third album, Standing in the Way of Control, went top ten in the UK in 2006. The title song opened this episode of Arkansas Songs, while the ballad Cold to Diamonds from the album is heard here. It was the Gossip's first recordings with drummer Hannah Billy of Washington State. Brace Payne, also of Arkansas, is the Gossip's longtime guitarist. In 2007, the Gossip signed to the Music with a Twist record label. The Sony Music subsidiary focuses on gay performers. Lead singer Beth Ditto generated lots of press that summer when she appeared nude on the cover of a European music magazine. That same year, the trio toured with Cindy Lauper's True Colors Tour, along with the likes of Deborah Harry and Rufus Wainwright. The Gospas had other high-profile gigs, such as the 2008 Glastonbury Festival in the UK, and on United States television, The David Letterman Show. 2008 also saw the release of the Gossips Live in Liverpool. Meanwhile, the outspokenness of frontwoman Ditto about most everything coupled with her status as a gay icon, sometimes threatens to overshadow the band's music. The gossip draws much from punk rock in its attitude, but some critics have also lauded what they see as the band's blues influence, and often credit this to the Arkansas influence on guitarist Brace Payne and vocalist Ditto. We were raised in Arkansas by women, wolves, and cassettes, the band's press bio states. Here in its entirety is Dark Lines by the Gossip of White County from the band's 2006 album, standing in the way of control. Dark drawn on line. 
Dark Lines by the Gossip of White County from the band's 2006 album Standing in the Way of Control. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Arkansas is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merckx. Arkansas since 1998. This is 91.3 KUAF. Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Mulberry. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. Contributors today included Rachel Sanchez-Smith, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Our theme is written and performed by Daryl Sean. We have daily editions of Ozarks at Large every Monday through Friday at noon and 7. Should you ever miss one, you can catch up. You can ask your smart speaker to please play. Ozarks at Large and hear the most recent edition of our daily show. You can use the KUAF app for iPhone and iPad to hear the most recent show and search for other shows as well. You can also go to OzarksAtLarge.com. You can go to KUAF.com and we also have a podcast. That's right. Wherever you listen to podcasts, just search Ozarks at Large. You'll find us there. And again, thanks to everybody who did contribute uh, during the three-day spring fundraiser last week. We raised almost $77,000 in those three days. It was busy. Uh, I know we heard from a lot of new members, and that's always good. Mm -hmm. And if, uh, if you didn't get a chance to contribute, you can... Well, you can do it at any time, but you can do it right now. That's true. Support KUAF.com. Fill out just a little bit of information, and you can join a large swath of people from all parts of the region. We heard from a lot of folks all across the area the last few days. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. Thank you so much for supporting this community and this public radio station. And again, that's at supportkuaf.com. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore.